Alright, well last week we, uh, we finished up uh, the foundation of the Bible, and uh, we finished it up by learning how to uh, properly interpret the Bible, and hopefully you are putting those principles into practice for yourself and for your family as you're studying the Word of God. Um, I think in our day and age, the, the way things are set up uh, in churchianity, I guess I would call it, not Christianity, but churchianity, uh, it sets it up for people to be spiritually lazy, okay? Uh, where if they don't understand a passage, they'll just automatically go to a commentary or go to their favorite pastor or try to find some sermon on YouTube about it. Um, you know, or maybe they'll Google it, you know, uh, whatever it may be, and it promotes spiritual laziness. Does not promote spiritually, uh, you know, vitality and uh, knowing the Word of God for yourself, and that has really set things up, I think, uh, for lots of false teaching, lots of false doctrine, lots of heresy, and eventually it will set things up for the Antichrist. It's all moving towards that direction, and so it's very important that you put those principles into practice. Uh, eventually, those videos will be uploaded if you want to uh, look over them again. And to remind yourself, or if you took notes, of course I'd recommend you take notes so you could uh, refresh yourself on these things so you can properly interpret the Bible for yourself. So that's a very important foundation. Uh, so we've, we've talked about the Trinity, which is theology, which comes from the Greek word theos, which means God. Uh, we've talked about bibliology, okay, and how to interpret the Bible. Uh, hermeneutics, which comes from the Greek word hermeneia. And all these words that we're talking about, we're mentioning these doctrines, all coming from Greek words, okay, is what you're going to notice. Uh, but today we're going to start anthropology, which comes from the Greek word anthropos, which means man, or mankind. So we're going to talk about the doctrine of man. So we talked about the doctrine of God, the doctrine of his word, now we're going to the doctrine of man. Now, included in this foundation, this third foundation, is going to be a doctrine of sin, too. Hamartiology, which comes from the Greek word hamartia, which is the Greek word for sin. Okay, so these two things are, are, are com, you know, pretty, you know, coexisting here. Because if, let's face it, if, the, if, there, uh, if there wasn't man, there wouldn't be sin on earth. There'd be sin in the universe because Satan and his angels sin, but there wouldn't be sin on earth if it wasn't for, uh, for man sinning. And uh, there wouldn't be sin in the sense of the word in, in our world as we know it, in this physical world, there wouldn't be sin if there wasn't sinners. And sinners are men. Okay, now obviously there's exceptions to that. There are angels who have sinned. Uh, but that's the only other kind of creature that sinned is angels. You know, animals don't sin. They can't sin. They're amoral creatures. Trees can't sin. Bugs can't sin. And so these two things, anthropology and hermartiology, are necessarily tangled together, unfortunately. Not the way it should be, not the way God wanted it to be, but it's the way it is. And so... As I said, anthropology comes from the Greek word anthropos, which is a Greek word, and um, which means mankind. It can also mean, in a certain context, a man individually, a certain man, or it can mean a certain group of men. Okay. So during this this foundation, we're going to learn things like uh, what is man, what is he like, uh, what are his capabilities, what are his limitations. Uh, it's very important to know that because. According to the, the broad definition of anthropos, you are an anthropos. So it's good to know 
uh, what the Bible says about you, what God says about you, uh, what your capabilities are, what your limitations are, what God expects out of you. Okay, so it's good to know those things. And then also hamartiology, like I said, came from the Greek word hamartia, which means sin. Uh, we're going to learn what is sin, uh, what is sin not, who is capable of sinning, who is not capable of sinning. Um, can sin be physical? Do people have to sin? Where does sin lead? So we'll, we'll talk about things like that. And like I said, these two things are necessarily tied together. And so these are some of the things we'll learn about in anthropology and hamartiology as we go through this uh, third foundation here. Okay, so the Bible says that, uh, that man was made in God's image. Well, what does that mean, to be made in God's image? Lots of people have, if they get this part wrong, they have lots of problems. You see, to make sure you get this right. Let's start out with what it doesn't mean. Uh, being made in God's image does not mean that we look like God physically. Okay, uh, you know what? What color eyes or hair would God have? Um, what color would His skin be? Does He have freckles? How tall is He? Uh, what size shoe does He wear? Does He wear shoes at all? What does God eat? What does God drink? Uh, does God get tired? Uh, does God sleep or uh, yawn when Brother Carrington goes too far or too long in a sermon? Um, does he get bruises when he falls down? Does he get sick? These all seem like nonsensical questions because they really are, because they apply to someone who has a physical body and a physical nature, which the Bible says God does not have. And so we say we're made in God's image. The word there in the Greek Septuagint, is icon, where we get our English word icon from. You think of icon, you may think of uh, a message board or Facebook. You see this little profile picture there. It's kind of like their icon. It represents them. Now, that picture is not them. It simply represents them. It shows a picture of what they look like. Okay, so we're saying that uh, when the Bible says we are made in God's image, it means in some way, shape, or form, we're representative of him. That we're somewhat of a picture of him. But the word itself, sometimes if you go to the Greek or Hebrew word, it'll give you an exact, detailed meaning on what it means by that. But this does not do that. In fact, this word is oftentimes used for idolatry. Um, if you remember uh, the story where God made the, the Israelites make golden tumors and golden rats, the word there was, in the Greek, was akon, okay? Um, you know, if I say to my, my son, he, he's made in my image, what am I saying by that? What I mean by that is that he kind of looks like me. Maybe he's going to be about the same height as me, his facial you know, features are, are similar. Uh, maybe I'm saying that he's like me because his, he has the same kind of personality as me. Or maybe I'm saying he's following in my footsteps, which is a nurture thing. And so there's all different kind of things you can mean by image, and uh, we say icon, you know, there's different things on the internet. You say, well, this is an icon. Now, we don't mean in a sinful way it's an icon. We mean it represents something or it leads to something. Okay, do you have a question, Brother John? Okay. Yeah, so the English, the Greek word is icon. We get our English word icon from. Okay, so when we're talking about we're made in God's image, we want to talk about what it isn't first to clarify these things. It doesn't mean 
physically. Okay? John 4.24 says God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus in Luke 24.39, when he was appearing before his disciples, they were scared because he didn't, he didn't open the door and unlock it. He just came right through. And they were scared. They thought he was a spirit. He said, look, feel me, touch me. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. And so Jesus in that scripture defines a spirit for us, something that does not have flesh and bones. If that's true, that means God doesn't get bruises, God doesn't get sick, God doesn't get sleepy or tired or yawn. Uh, God doesn't need to drink or eat. Uh, God doesn't need to wear shoes. He doesn't have a height, necessarily. Uh, he doesn't have freckles. That's to do with skin. He doesn't have a skin color. That's to do with skin. Okay. Um, he doesn't have a certain color eyes or hair. Now, there's things in the Scripture where it, it kind of tries to describe God in this like white as hair as white as lightning and but it doesn't mean that he has physical strands of hair. You know, like my hair is falling out. God's hair doesn't fall out. Okay? Some of us more of our hair is falling out than others at this point in time. Um, and some of us our hair is probably never gonna fall out, you know. <laughs> you know, but it has to do with his genes, you know. So but genes are once again a physical thing that has to do with DNA, which God does not have. So we're not saying that. Um, the Bible says that God is all-knowing. And I'll just, I'm not going to really go through all these scriptures. I'm going to give you some scriptures. I mean, Brother Kevin just went through the Trinity, so there's no, really, no, necess, uh, no need to go through all these again. But God is all-knowing. Um, if you want some scripture references, there's uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 6. Uh, Psalm 147 and verse 5. Uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 28. First uh, John 3 and verse 20. So God is all-knowing. So when the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, does that mean that we're all-knowing like him? No, it doesn't mean that. We see this all the time. We, we forget things. We, don't, we learn things. Learning implies you didn't know that beforehand, right? So that, that's, that, that can't be true when it says we're made in God's image. Uh, God is, as one atheist said at the University of Buffalo, omnipotent. No, it's omnipotent, okay? God is omnipotent. Uh, amazing, he was trying to correct me on how I was saying something in the middle of saying that. But um, God is omnipotent. Omnipotent, I want you to picture two words together. Omni means all, potent means power, all-powerful. So he's all-powerful. And the word for all-knowing is omniscient, omniscience, okay? He's omniscient. Uh, omnipotent, you have Revelation 19.6. You have Jeremiah 32.27. Of course, God creating everything we see. We've, we've looked at videos about astronomy and how huge these stars are out there and how magnificent and powerful they are. And Genesis 1.1 says God created it all. We don't, we, sometimes we don't really read into what that really means and how powerful that is, but God created it all. And John 1.1-3, one, one it's the same thing. Talking about Jesus and, and God in the beginning. But so when, when the Bible says that we're made in God's image, is it saying that we are omnipotent like God is? Could some of you speak something into existence? A big star? Maybe if you're a word faith preacher, you probably could. Or they, as, like my friend says, a word fake preacher. Because you know, they don't really have the power they say they have. You know, They, they, don't, they don't speak to their, their wallet and say, money appear. They beg their, their followers for money and say, if you give us your money, God will bless you in that way. Well, why don't you bless yourself in that way? Why don't you speak to your money, you know, your, your wallet yourself and get it that way? 
So we're not made in God's image in that sense either. Okay, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. This doesn't mean that he's in everything, though. Okay, like There's a little piece of God in the leaf out there, in the tree out there, and all that kind of nonsense that some religions would teach. But he's everywhere at one time. You know, Psalm 139, 7-12, David talked about this, how if he goes down to the depths, there you are. If I go to the heights, there you are. And, and we can't get away from God. You know, so he's he's omnipresent. You have uh, so Psalm one thirty nine seven through twelve. You have Amos nine twenty three, and you have Jeremiah twenty three twenty three through twenty four. But when it says we're made in God's image, it's saying that we're omnipresent. No, because I'm not in China right now. I'm not on the moon right now. Okay, I don't see everything at one time. And this is one of the reasons why none of us can make a, a, a universal negative declaration. We can't say anything is, does not exist in any, in an absolute sense unless we were omnipresent and omniscient. And so only God can declare those kind of things. And so unless we get our information from God, I'm discussing with a young man, I have these discussions quite often on my YouTube videos. He says, oh, everyone sins every day. Well, how would you know that? Do you know everybody? Are, are you with every single person at every second of every day to see if they're sitting every single day? See, the only way someone could know that is if they were omnipresent and omniscient, which that person is not. And if he was God, he would be perfect. But he's not perfect. He's declaring himself to be a sinner, therefore he's not God. And so the only person who could know that would be God. And those who God chooses to reveal that stuff to. So now we're back to the Bible. Where does the Bible say that everyone says every single day? It doesn't say that. And he wants to gloss over that, and then he starts to accuse me of being a sinner. But that's not saying that we're all we're all we're omnipresent either. When it says we're made in God's image, God is eternal. Now we're made in God's image in that sense. Well, we exactly so we not eternity past, but eternity future. So in that sense, we still aren't made in God's image because we're not. We don't have eternity past. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. The eternal God. If you want some scriptures on that, you have Psalm 90 and verse 2, Isaiah 44 and verse 6, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17, and Revelation 1.8. Now we know from other scriptures, of course, that we do have an eternity somewhere, but we all began at some point in time. Okay. The Bible also says that Jesus is the image of God. Let's look at some of the scriptures, John 14.9. Some of this will be kind of like a review, I guess, from Brother Kevin's teaching of the Trinity, but it's good to look at these again. John 14 and verse 9. As Jesus talking to Philip, he said, uh, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father... So how can you say, show us the Father? Now, what is, is Jesus saying? Let's go back to, to the list again. Is Jesus saying that God, the Father, looks physically like he looks? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying, is Jesus saying that I'm omnipresent? Is he omnipresent at that point in time? Is Jesus omniscient at this point in time? No, we can look at Matthew 24 to, to prove that. Uh, is Jesus um, omnipotent at this point in time? Yeah, he's still omnipotent. He's just submitting his will to the Father. He has the power as he always had. Um, 
I mean, of course, God, he didn't lose his eternal nature, but at this point in time, he's, he's in physical flesh. So he's, he's, as Philippians 2 talks about, he limits himself to these things. He does not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He limited himself. He comes to human flesh. And so he's taken those things away from himself. He's humbled himself and, acts, and has done what God's asked him to do. And the other scriptures we can look at, too, like Philippians 2.6, Colossians 1.15, First uh, Timothy three sixteen Hebrews. Let's just look at one more. Hebrews one three. Let's look at that one. Hebrews one three. Let's just start in verse one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's the express image of his person. So what does it mean by being the express image of his person? I think it's referring to his character. You know, you see the way Je what Jesus is like. You see the way he responded to certain types of sinners, to hypocrites, to religious hypocrites, to humbled sinners, to hold, you know, whole towns who rejected him who he did his mightiest miracles in. You saw the way he responded to them. That's the way God would have responded to them. And so you see the way God acts towards people. That's the way... The way Jesus acted towards people on earth, that's the way God will act towards people. And so it's a perfect picture of his his character. That's the image he's referring to here. So let's look at some scriptures that have to do with us being made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1. Start at the beginning there. Genesis chapter 1. After God had made everything else, this is the sixth day now. In verse 26 of Genesis 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So some people would have you believe this is really only referring to Adam. What we see in verse 27 is referring to at least Adam and Eve, right? Male and female. But it says in verse 26, uh, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over the creeping things, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So when we're, we're talking about being made in God's image, just from these first couple of verses here that we see this, talked about, it's referring to them, a plurality of people here, not just referring to Adam, and not just referring to Adam and Eve. Um, so both of them, male and female, are both created in his image. And we see this is different than the animals. He didn't say this about the animals. And he's given man authority, dominion, rule over all of the animal creatures. Okay? So the difference between them. Let's go to Genesis 9, 6. So here we have, you know, some people would say, well, when the, the fall of Adam happened, we, we, lost, we lost God's image. God's image was lost when Adam sinned, and, that, and now we're made in Adam's image. And we'll get to Genesis 5-3 here in a, in a little bit. But 
Genesis 9, 6, here we have uh, after the flood, Noah's coming out of the ark. Let's start in Genesis 9, 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, for you, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it, and the hand of, of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, shall be shed for in the image of God he made man. So we see here, after the flood, you know, back in Genesis 6, it was saying things like uh, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually, as if that's a proof text to prove that we're born a sinner, we have a sin, born a sinful nature. Well, here we have in Genesis 9, 6, that men are still made in the image of God. And um, men who will kill other men, which is a sin, right, are still made in the image of God, even after the flood of Noah, uh, when God is starting over with Noah and his family. And one of the reasons why, we see in Genesis 9, uh, verses 5 and 6, one of the reasons why you should not kill another man is because they're made in God's image. And one of the reasons why you can kill other animals and eat them is because they are not made in God's image. The difference here between the two creatures. Okay, So it's the opposite of evolution, what evolution teaches. This is the very opposite of it. But it's also the opposite of what uh, people like uh, Calvinists teach. They teach that men are no longer made in God's image. Okay? And obviously I think they confuse what it means to be made in his image. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 11. This is one that Brother John read earlier this morning. It's interesting that he read it. I'm going into it today myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're talking about head coverings here. There's a distinction being made here. It says, in, uh, let's start in verse uh, 6. For a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a, a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, is this saying that woman is not made in the image of God? No, we, we saw back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that male and female were both made in the image of God, but it's making a distinction here. You see, like like Brother John said earlier, the first woman came from the first man. The Bible says a, a, a rib was taken out of his side, and God made the woman from the man. So it wasn't if God made her from scratch like he did the man. Okay, um, But at the same time, Obviously, First Corinthians 11 is talking about authority structure here, and that's why it's making the distinction here. There's an authority structure here. We see that in verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, the head of Christ is God. So the whole point of First Corinthians 11 is not to talk about what happened in the beginning or uh, what image were made in the sense of uh, our creation, but as far as authority is concerned, uh, when we were made and how we were made. And then, but it still says right here, the point I'm making here, First Corinthians 11, after the, helping you understand what it's actually saying here, is that man, at this point, one of the reasons why he should not cover his head, because he's made in the image of God. 
That's still in, we saw it in the beginning, we saw it after the flood, now we're seeing it in the New Testament times. They're still made in the image of God. I'll go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 9. Talking about the tongue here, it says, uh, With it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing, cursing my brethren. These things ought not be so. And so we see here in the New Testament again, once again, that are still men are still made in the likeness of God, the image of God, and they still deserve dignity and respect above other creatures because of that very fact. And 1 Corinthians 11 is, is saying that men, because they're made first, that they deserve even more higher, deserve higher dignity and respect because that's the, the authority structure God has set up. Just like uh, God is over Christ, men are over women. And so we see, let's go back to Genesis 1 again that uh, men are still made in the image of God. Actually, let's go to Genesis 5 now. And let's deal with one of these objections people will have to men being made in God's image. Genesis 5 and verse 3. Let's start in verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them, once again, he's talking about two people here, male and female, and blessed them, and called them mankind in the day they were created. So you see at the beginning, man, male and female were both made image of God. And it says, And Adam lived 130 years, and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. Now within this uh, verse 3, what people will read into that is this. Well look, God's making a distinction here between Adam and Eve being made in his image, and now Seth being made in Adam's image. So something must have happened there. Something must have changed. Something must have changed in Adam's image, in Adam's nature, and now he's passing it on to his son. Can you really read that much into that one verse? Well, people do do it, but should you? I guess the better question is, should you read that much? What do you want to say, brother? Oh, sorry, you're probably going to say it. It seems like it's making more of the distinction that God didn't create Seth. Exactly. That's what I, the distinction I think it's making. But let me let me provide you a little uh, a little uh, equation here. Adam made in God's image. Seth made in Adam's image. Seth made in God's image. See how that works? Adam made in God's image. Seth made in Adam's image. Therefore, Seth is made in God's image. So you have to assume something changed there. Okay, now in, in this in this idea that something changed, people have this idea that being made in God's image means this: that they were perfectly Adam was perfectly righteous in the same sense that God was in the beginning. And we're going to get into that here in a minute. But I wanted to throw the idea out there that people have this idea, and then because Adam sinned, he passed it along to Seth, and now Seth is not made in God's image, but made, made in Adam's image. Okay, that's what they're, that's what they're saying. Well, we've, we've looked at this uh, through our hermeneutic study, the study of these principles I gave you, that that's false, because Ezekiel 18 squashes this idea that sin is transferable, or that righteousness is transferable. Okay? Not possible. But Genesis 5.3, 
in my opinion, is obviously saying uh, that Seth is made in God's in God's image, just like Adam and Eve. He just simply not made the same way that God made Adam and made Eve. God made Adam in what way? From the dust of the earth. God made Eve in what way? Ripped from the side. Has either one of those two things happened since then? Has not happened since then. And so now God is making distinction. Now, did Adam have any children before he had Seth? Oh, yeah, he had Cain, he had Abel, and they had sisters, because who's Cain going to marry if, if, if they didn't have sisters? Right? So he had, he had son, at least two sons and daughters before he had Seth. Now, I mean, if this is the first instance we see of this, let's use their hermeneutics now and try to figure these things out. I guess Cain and Abel, the sinful nature didn't pass on to them because they were still made in God's, because the Bible doesn't say they were made in Adam's image. But Seth, you know, he got the bad end of the totem pole there. He got to be made in, in Adam's image. But, you know, Cain and Abel, they, they lucked out. Is that the way the Bible works? No. And so they read these things. So they're, they're assuming that being made in God's image has something to do with being, uh, having this nature, same nature God has as far as morality is concerned, or holiness is concerned. And they're assuming that when God says Seth is made in Adam's image, it's the same thing is applying there. As I both think are, are false things to say. And so, let's look at this idea, can God sin? Now, we all know the answer to that, but let's just look at some scriptures. Hebrews 6.18. Let's look at that first. And we're going to show that, that their idea of what image is, being made in God's image, is false. Hebrews 6.18. Now, this is talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham. And usually covenants have uh, several people confirming them. And it says, and uh, let's just read Hebrews 6, 16. It says, For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is, is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of, the, of promise, the immutability, that word just means the changelessness, it can't be changed, the changelessness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two changeless things in which it is impossible for God to lie, you might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The hope, of course, is the promised land. That's the, that's the, the inheritance. And God swore to Abraham, and it was, it, was, it was swore by two things. One, that he cannot change. The immutability of his will, changelessness of his will, and two, that he cannot lie. And upon those two things, Abraham placed his hope. Okay? So God cannot lie. We see he cannot lie in the scripture, and he cannot change when it comes to his character. Okay? Uh, let's go to Titus 1 2. Just back a couple of books there. Titus 1.1 1, 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So God cannot lie and he cannot change. Uh, go to James chapter 1 and verse 13. So God cannot sin, God cannot change, can he be tempted? James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. 
some people, some atheists might try to propose a contradiction here because Jesus was tempted in all points like we were, yet was without sin. But it's obviously referring to God the Father here in the scripture here. Okay, not, not God the Son. Because um, James, a half-brother of Jesus who lived with Jesus for 30 years of his life, would have known he was tempted at some point in time. I'm sure of that. Um, so God cannot, cannot lie, cannot be tempted to sin. If you can't be tempted to sin, can you sin at all? No, you can't sin at all. And so we can expand the not lying to not being able to sin, because if you can't be tempted to sin, then you can't be sin. You can't sin. That's all there is to it, because temptation always precedes sin. Uh, James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So there's no variation in God. He's the same. Uh, we know that Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Some other scriptures you can look up if you want to about God's changelessness is Malachi 3.6 and Hebrews 1.11-12. Uh, Numbers 23 and verse 19. Let's see what that says here. Talking about God not being like man. Numbers 23.19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? So God needs, has no need of repentance because he's not like man. And uh, then at first, another verse you can look up about that is 1 Samuel 15, 29, which talks about uh, God rejecting Saul as king and that he would not change his mind about that. Okay. So if God can't sin, talking about the Father now, if God can't sin and can't be tempted, and man has always... From the beginning, including Adam and Eve, have the ability to be tempted and the ability to sin. When we're talking about man being made in God's image, is it including that? Impossible to include that. Because God the Father cannot be tempted to sin and cannot sin. So when people try to include that in image that says when Adam sinned and fell, he fell from the image of God, are they accurate in their definition of what image includes? They are not accurate on that. Okay? And so what what does it mean then to be made in God's image? Well, like I said, the word image itself, in the in the Greek and in the Hebrew, uh, doesn't really give a full-blown definition about it's been used in many different ways. But I think we can assume safely some things about what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, one, it means we're different than the animals. We saw that in Genesis 1. There was a distinction made there between us and the animals. Let's think about that. What are some differences between us and animals? Joshua? We can speak. We can speak, okay. All right. Well, they may have a little bit, I mean, some animals may have a language like dolphins, they communicate, and but it's not like we're talking about right here. Okay, it's a different kind of language. Tracy? Uh, we have the ability to engage in logic. Yeah, logic and reason. Animals don't have that. Animals don't think about the, uh, the principle of the law of non-contradiction. Okay, they don't think about things contradicting each other. They don't think that deeply. They, have, they don't have the ability to think about complex things like we do. I think probably one of the smartest animals in the world is probably the dolphin. But they have an extra sense that we don't have. They have sonar. Uh, we've actually watched, uh, we have a, a video on dolphins, and we've, we've watched where they, they'll put some, an object in a box, and the trainer will show them the object, and they'll go to the proper box, and it's a big black box. You can't see through it with your physical eyes, but their sonar knows it's there behind the box. 
that's an extra sensory organ that we don't have that God you know placed it within them. But they still can't think logically or complex. Okay. That's right. Very good, Malachi. Uh, they don't have this creative ability that we have to invent things. That comes from God. Now, we don't have the same power God has. We can't speak things into existence, but we are constantly inventing. I mean, people who've been living for the last uh, 50, 60 years or so can remember how far we've come these last 50 years. I mean, I can remember the last 20 years. I mean, you wouldn't imagine that people having cell phones, smartphones, internet in every single household, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, you wouldn't think of everyone having a car in their house. A car, not in their house, but in their garage, maybe. <laughs> a car at their house. Um, a TV at their house. You wouldn't think about video cameras. You wouldn't think about, I mean, YouTube ten years ago, you wouldn't be thinking about that. You know, so we, we come, we, as, as, as human beings, we're very creative, and that's a picture of what God is like. He is very creative. And us having an imagination, you know, being able to paint things. They'll be able to draw things. That's that's a every time someone paints something or draws something beautiful, they're they're proving they're made in God's image. What animal can do that? What animal does do that? They don't do that. You know, I think monkeys may be able to do some things, but they can't paint a beautiful picture of the sunset or the sunrise or the the woods in the backyard. They can't do that. And so every time we. Um, we do that. We we are showing that we're made in God's image. What else? What else is there? What else can you think of? Justice, an idea of justice that someday the 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 slate will be clean and something will happen to evildoers and something will happen to good doers. Rewards and punishments. And so this idea of justice within us, you don't see that in the animal kingdom. Have used it a lot in the open air, but you don't see a courtroom set up with you know Mr. Giraffe being the judge and. Mr. Lion is in trouble because he killed Mr. Gazelle, and now Miss Gazelle has no way to provide for her family. You know, you don't see that happening in the animal kingdom. Okay, so this idea of justice is something I think uh, is is included in being made in God's image. Malachi, animals can't sin. Animals can't sin. That's right. So they have, they don't have. They're amoral creatures. They're not moral or immoral. When a lion kills a gazelle or kills a zebra or, or kills a buffalo, a cape buffalo, they are not sinning. As we saw back in, and if you do that, you're not sinning either. Okay? If we go back to Genesis 9, we saw that if we do that to each other, now that's sin. That's sin in God's eyes. And there's punishment required for that. But killing an animal, God doesn't punish people for killing animals. Yes, Joshua. Right. Right. There's no, there's no all dogs go to heaven. You know, that, that's nonsense. Um, you know, unfortunately, Titus won't be there. I'll, I'll, I might miss him a little bit. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> caffeine won't be there. You know, blue won't be there. Snoopy won't be there. You know, but but there there will be animals in the kingdom. But there, I don't think they're going to be the same animals we see today with the same personality. Okay, there's no biblical proof for that. Okay, now is it possible? It may be possible. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of arguing from silence to say that it definitely won't be. But it's, I don't have any scriptures that, that say there won't be, but there obviously will be animals there. And me and Malachi talk about it sometimes. Like, well, I, I can't wait to ride a cheetah, you know, sending miles per hour, or, or, or fly, fly in a, uh, you know, some kind of uh, pterodactyl. One of those really, I can't remember the name of the really big one is, but a really big one, you know, that, a seventy-foot wingspan. You know, that'd be cool to ride on one of those. Yeah, riding a well, falcons are kind of small to ride on. So I don't think you can ride on a falcon. 
But uh, yeah, so so there's there is an eternal thing within us, though. Eternity is in our hearts. We we know intrinsically that we're going to live forever. Now we didn't live for eternity past. We'll live eternity future. And because as creatures we began at some point in time, it's not as hard for us to comprehend eternity past. Okay, not eternal future. Sean. That's right, which goes, it kind of ties with the morality thing. They operate an insect, an in, insect, instinct for the most part. Now we have a, a, a conscience, which makes us different than animals. The, the Romans 2 says the conscience either accuses us when we do wrong or excuses us when we do right. Animals don't have that. And so that's part of being made in God's image because God, you know, he, I believe he is a conscience. He has a, a nature that and morality, good and evil, as we know, is a reflection of what is for, uh, uh, goes along with his nature and goes against his nature. Um, so, morality and having a conscience is something that's different. Yes. Something I think maybe would be different because you've seen animals that know when they've done wrong, right? But there's a difference between them confessing it to you and saying, "Oh, I did this wrong. I should, I should let you know." Right. You confronting them. And, and I think that's a, I think that's a learned behavior too. I mean, yeah. a- animals. Titus knows by now that if he chews something up that's not a bone, that he's going to be in trouble. So if I come into the household, and he's in his cage, so he doesn't really have the opportunity to do this. But sometimes, like this morning, I went outside, and there was one of the shovels for the sandbox was all chewed up. I know that was him. And if I caught him in the act of doing it, he'd be like, you know, his ears would be down, he'd be crawling up on the ball, and he'd probably urinate on himself. But, um, <laughs> but that's, that's, but he, he learned that. He didn't do that from the beginning when I got him a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. He's learned that over time. Tracy. Yeah, it's just basic conditioning and the consequences all right whereas we we know these things intrinsically they not need to be conditioned upon us now we can we can we don't have now having a conscience does not mean you have to obey it but it's there nonetheless joshua yep 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 now there is now animals do have breath in their their uh their lungs and do have breath in their their body so they're in that sense, they have a, a spirit in that sense, but not one that's going to live forever like we talked about before. And um, we'll talk more about soul and spirit probably next week or maybe the week after that. We're not going to get into detail about that today. Yes? Um, animals don't live as long as people. Yeah, that's true. There are some animals who might live a little longer, but that, as a general rule, I agree with that. That's a general rule. What about um, dignity for life? You know, when's the last time you saw an animal have a funeral? It doesn't happen. You know, animals don't really respect each other. Elephants have funerals? Well, they dig up a grave, they put them in there, put a tombstone, put their name, put their thing on. Continually. They do visits at the funeral sites continually. Oh, like where, they, where, the, where the elephant? The body died or whatever happened, yeah. That's a general type of close split. I'll have to look into that. Uh, I still don't think it's the same as humans, though. No, no. But uh, anyway, that's... that's What about, uh, we kind of talked about this on the creative issue, but the ability to recognize beauty. You know, in paintings and people and creation. You know, generally, I, I don't think I've ever seen an animal stop and gaze at the stars. Or look at a flower, the details of a flower and how beautiful and how intricate it is. Or, you know, cut open a person's head and look at their brain and how detailed that is. Or their heart or their eyes or... You know, they don't get telescopes out and look out there into the universe to see how beautiful the sky is. Animals don't do that. Yes. They do have attraction, but attraction is different than appreciation of beauty, like what you're saying. Yeah. Attraction is, is more uh, involuntary, whereas uh, for us it's more, it's more, I mean, there are some involuntary intra- attractions, but we have to submit to it. Yes. Yeah, so 
Not in that sense, no. In that, in that sense. No. Right. No. 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 There's definitely fear involved sometimes and reverence in that sense, as far as like maybe the, you got the alpha wolf and alpha wolf and the wolf pack, and you got the I don't know what's called the Zulu wolf or whatever you want to call him. The guy who was on the low on the totem pole, but the, I've I've seen we have videos of wolf packs being followed around by human video cameras, and it's amazing to see the the you know intricacies there within it, the relations in there. Um, so, and then, and then, of course, when it comes to being made in God's image, we're relational. Uh, now, animals do have this as well to some degree, but not to the same depth that we have, where there's a such thing as love. And by love, I don't mean feelings, okay? Because animals have feelings for other animals. But, I mean, you even have doves sometimes that will stay with the same mate forever. And if that mate dies, they just, I guess they're just by themselves for the rest of their lives. Uh, but when it comes to human beings, we're talking about love. We're not talking about some chemical reaction in your brain. We're talking about a genuine, I'm going to put you above me. I'm going to love you. And just like the vows say when you get married, uh, and, and for better or for worse, uh, sickness and in health, richer or poorer, to death do us part. That's love. That's a choice. And so, and of course, within, within being made in God's image, it would include be, having free will. Because God has free will. God has free choice, the ability to choose. And so we have the ability to choose. And we're going to go more into this probably next time. All of these times we see this prove. You know, the Bible does mention the word free, the words free will a couple times, but as far as proving free will, I think a good proof of free will is God uh, demands something or God commands something. God says do this and don't do this. That implies there's a choice to be, that, that you can choose either this one or this one. So there's a free will there. Um, and of course we have the ability, really, I mean, animals have self-control in the sense that they're persuaded not to do a certain thing. But us humans, we have self-control in the sense that we can abstain from things that we have not been persuaded otherwise to abstain from. Um, you know, if I've, if I've taught my children to not be selfish, I expect them not, not to be selfish even when I'm not around, even when I don't have the rod in my hand. And I said, well, if you don't, if you don't be uh, unselfish, then you're going to have problems. Yes, Mel, okay. Um, animals don't kill each other. Um, if, um, humans kill other animals. Like, they're, they're made of things to kill um, other things. When we have oh, okay, like weapons and stuff like that. Yeah, they, if it, people have to buy it, but they're already made with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that goes back to the creative thing. Yes, animals have uh, claws and teeth. and You can probably kill a, a human or an animal without using weapons, though. You don't have to use weapons, but... That goes back to the creative thing. So th- this, this is what I think it means to be made in God's image. You have, we're different than animals. We can have logic and reason. We have morality and conscience. We have a sense of justice. We have dignity for life. We are creative, like to invent things. We have the ability to recognize beauty. Uh, we have eternity written upon our hearts. We have free will. This is what, I mean, when we exclude all the things the Bible excludes, necessarily by looking at these verses... These are the things I think we can come down to as a bare bone things of what it means to be made in God's image. Okay? But it has nothing to do, put your hand up, son, it has nothing to do with, uh, the ability to do, uh, or how, what, how you're, you're made as far as morality is concerned, uh, whether your parents have sinned or not, it has nothing to do with nature in that sense. 
when it comes to being made in the image of God. It has nothing to do with uh, with um, whether we're omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all those things. It has to do with these things that we've talked about. Okay? All right, so that, that's... Uh, that's a good introduction, I think, to this this topic. Does anyone have uh, questions or objections or things they want to add? Well, you have we have we have free will, free will, free choice, the ability to choose this or that. Um, yes. Well, I kind of want to contrast because you're going to run into people who, well, definitely Calvinists that are going to combat you on what your definition of free will is. Often you'll hear Calvinists start confusing free will with omnipotence, meaning we can do anything we want. We know we can't do that. Right. But I kind of have to look at it the other way around too. God doesn't have free will in the same sense we do because God doesn't choose between good and evil, or does He? That's what we're trying to figure out. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's not really said. We we said Scripture says He cannot do it, but I've seen you know, Jesse's made arguments like, well, then He wouldn't be praiseworthy if He couldn't do it at all. Right. I don't know if that's well, the Bible says He cannot. Yeah. He cannot lie and He cannot be tempted. So then God the Father cannot sin. Okay? Now, the question is, why can he not sin? I don't think we have that answer. Uh, we, can, we can say things like, well, the reason he cannot lie is because he's omniscient. And that's, that he just, by definition, he's omniscient. He's, he knows all things. And because he knows all things, he knows sin is stupid. And sin is wrong. And therefore, because he's so smart, he'd never choose to do those things. He could say something like that. I've heard people say, well, God has the free will to sin. He just never would sin. Well, I don't, I don't think that's true according to Scripture. I've heard people make that those arguments. I don't think that's true. Uh, so, yeah, free choice. I've heard, I've heard, even heard Calvinists make distinction between free will and free choice. They'll say, well, you can choose according to your nature. Well, I, I agree with that. But my nature is not sinful. You know, I'm not born with a sinful nature and I'm born a sinner. So I agree with that. But I don't agree with that distinction. Uh, and free will does not also does not mean for God or for us they can do whatever they want to do. Because God can, I mean, the whole idea of, can God make a rock so big you can't move it? Well, the problem with that is it's a contradiction within a statement. So you're trying to prove that God can't do something, but if you say God can't move a rock, isn't that something he can't do? And so to say, can he make a rock so big he can't move it, you're you're trying to prove he can't make a rock so big, that big, but then if he did make a rock that big, he wouldn't be able to move it. So that's something he can't do. So it doesn't really make any sense to even say that statement. But God, God can't do logical impossibilities. He can't make a you know a square triangle or a circular square. Those are logical impossibilities. He can do all things that can be done that are consistent with his nature. That's all really omnipotence means. Yes? Yeah, I think uh, another thing, too, is um, when we look at uh, how are we made in the image of God, we've already covered that we're not made in the image of God in the fact that we sin because that's not God's image. So we weren't born as sinners, and that's really fairly covered. But also a lot of people that come against that will say, well, look, he's saying that we're born in the image of God, and well, he's saying we're born holy, but we're not born holy or sinful, mm-hmm. because either one requires choice. Right. And uh, even when we're born with a conscience, we don't understand that conscience until a certain time in our life mm-hmm. uh, that we understand that conscience. And some people never understand their conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some people are never counted as holy or sinful. Right. Uh, so I think that's just really important to kind of bring out. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll go more in depth on what sin is and what it isn't and who's able to sin, who isn't able to sin in, in upcoming teachings on this issue. But getting back to this, this one thing I wanted to mention about what Sean was saying a second ago, this free choice, free will thing. Obviously, we saw that God cannot sin. That's not included in his, in his free choice. So free will has to do with you being able to do 
uh, when it comes to the God, he's able to do anything that's consistent with his nature. It's not a logical impossibility. And um, I think the same definition would apply to us with one limitation that God allows. Because God, God can even stop, we've talked about this before, God can stop you from doing something, whether it's good or evil, without taking your free will away because you desired in your heart to do that thing and desiring your heart to do it is sinful or righteous in and of itself. So it's, God, it's not God stopping you from sinning or stopping you from being righteous. Because, okay, well, uh, free will from our perspective is being able to do anything that's according to our nature, okay, with one exception, that God allows. God can stop you from doing something that is sinful or righteous without taking away your free will because the intent of wanting to do it or desiring to do it in your heart is in itself sinful or righteous before you commit the act of sin or righteousness. And so even in that case, God is not taking away your free will. He's simply taking away your ability to complete what you want to complete. I like yes. your example about the, uh, the murderer right. that tries to get to murder you, mm-hmm. and he has it in his heart, he's going to murder you. Mm-hmm. And physically and normally, he would be able to carry that out. Right. But then God causes them to get uh, run off the road, and then the state trooper comes by, finds his weapon, throws him in prison, right. uh, and then it never happens. Right. So that could or maybe there's no other human involved. God just uh, makes him lose his knife. And then uh, it makes a bear come out of the forest and eat them. You know, who knows what God will do? And but, but bears are can be controlled by God. You know, they they don't have a free will in the sense that we have a free will. Yeah, Sean. Uh, one more thing that you brought up earlier about the idea of God repenting or relenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there are scriptures that say God did change His mind, but we want to differentiate maybe for everybody else because they're going to come across this in their reading. Well, I mean, repent means to change your mind about okay. something. But it, it, the context will determine what you're changing your mind about. Now, when it comes to us, it's, it's usually referring to sin. Okay. Uh, when it comes to God, it's never referring to sin, obviously. But Genesis 6, where it says that God repented of making mankind, or God regretted of making mankind, uh, it's simply referring to his remorse in his heart for how things have turned out and how wicked they have become. And how he, he in that moment, when he saw how wicked they become, even though he knew it ahead of time, he felt regret. Regret for it. Just like Jesus knew ahead of time that Judas was going to betray him, but in the moment felt great grief in his heart that Judas did do it. It's like Jesus knew when he came to earth that he was going to die on the cross, but in the Garden of Eden he had great sorrow to the point of sweat coming from his his his, his pores. Yeah, the garden. Yeah. Yeah. So Joshua, you had your hand up? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Philippians four thirteen is talking about humans, so they they couldn't they wouldn't be able to. I mean, obviously, atheists will try to twist whatever verse they can find to make a contradiction in the Bible. Philippians four thirteen is talking about human beings being able to do all things through Christ. Uh, so that's the first thing I say. Secondly, uh, usually what they'll bring up with Hebrews six eighteen is God being omnipotent, with having all power. Well, doesn't God have the power to lie? Then they'll say. Well, they're misunderstanding what omnipotence means. Um, obviously, God is able to do all things except for the things that limit him in the Scripture and the things that are logical impossibilities. 
So God cannot sin. And because logic is a reflection of God's mind, it's an uh, out, outpouring of God's mind, what logic is. Therefore, to do something illogical would be impossible as well. It's against his nature, against what his mind is. And so, like I said, making a square circle or triangle circle is impossible. Making 2 plus 2 equals 5 is impossible for God. So those things are logical. Making a rock so big you can't move it is impossible. It's impossible for two reasons. Uh, first of all, all rocks are created by God. Therefore, he must be able to lift them. And secondly, if he didn't make a rock that big and he wasn't able to lift it, now he can't do another thing. You know, see what I'm saying? And so th they'll try to play these games with it all they want. But, uh, of course, since omnipotence is found in the scripture, it is defined by the scripture, not by the atheist who rejects scripture. And so for him, for him to take scriptural terms and put his own definition upon them, just like what the Calvinist does with the words like dead and, and nature, they put their own external, extra-biblical definitions upon these words and then form their doctrine from it. Well, that's, that's not the way you do things. You know, if I want to criticize a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Jew, I'm going to go to their doctrine and I'm going to implode it from the inside out and understand what they say and implode it. I'm going to put myself in their shoes and show all the inconsistency in and poke holes in what they believe. Well, if Mr. Atheist wants to poke holes in what I believe, I'm, I'm open to it. But uh, he has to first understand what I believe. Understand what it says. But but, but getting to the atheist, I mean, really the bare bones of atheist, he can't know anything for sure. So why is he even arguing? He, he, he doesn't even believe logic exists, exists from his point of view because he only believes in what he can see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. And logic is not included in those things. And so once I go through all that with him, Joshua, I would go back to this knowledge thing that he can't know anything. And the only way he can know anything for sure is if God exists. And the only way he can know something absolutely is true is if someone who's absolute told him that. And therefore, he, he needs God to know anything. He needs the God who knows everything for him to know anything. So his rejection and his arguing of you, uh, whether there is a God who knows everything or not, is self-contradicting. Yes. Yes. So those are just known as improper questions. Yeah. You can ask questions that are completely improper, like the, the rock that God can't lift. Well, that's assuming that God is physical and has physical limitations, which the Bible clearly says he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So that's an improper question you can ask, like the square circle. Well, a circle is unsquare. So it's taking something that's unsquare and trying to say you can make that square. Mm -hmm. and that's just a very improper question. The question's illogical in itself. Mm -hmm. So it's a logical fallacy. I mean, God, God has set up the world in a way where he does limit his power in some sense, like when it comes to mankind. God does not force man to salvation. So he limits himself. So sometimes I'll reply that, well, you are the rock so big that God will not lift. Not that he can't lift, but he won't lift. He won't make you come to him. He won't make you trust and believe. He'll make you repent. And so you can, you can kind of switch it around on that, too. Joshua? Okay, let me see here. Okay. Oh, John four twenty four, and then I coupled that with Luke twenty four thirty nine. And John four twenty four says, "God is spirit; we must worship in spirit and truth." And Luke twenty four thirty nine just defines that a spirit does not have flesh and bones, like he did. What about personifications? Are they just something poetic? Yeah, they're personifications. That's what they are. They're nothing else. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 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 helpful for us to understand things. We we personify animals sometimes. You know, we'll say dogs are a part of our family. Well, that's impossible. Dogs aren't humans. <laughs> they can't be part of our family in that sense. But I understand what they're saying there is that they 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 feel as if you know they belong. You know, and I I I you know I've only had Titus for a few months now. I kind of feel that way about him. Yes. Well, that doesn't say it's impossible for God. It says it's impossible for man. It's impossible for man to be saved without God. Yeah, that's that's true. Because man needs a blood sacrifice, and God provided that through Jesus. And so, yeah, it is impossible. It's a synergistic thing, though, of course, because uh, God is not doing it all. Man's got to do something. It's with God. So they're together. Not just God by himself. It's with God. So.